You're listening to Inside Public Procurement by Bonfire, a show celebrating the unique stories and heroic efforts of those on the front lines of public procurement. Each episode, we bring you the latest trends, tips, and real stories from procurement trailblazers like you, who work tirelessly to bring positive impact to the agencies and communities you serve. Together, let's elevate the field of public procurement to new heights. Now, pull up a chair and let's gather around the bonfire. Our show is about to begin. Hello, and welcome to the Inside Public Procurement Podcast. My name is Rachel Friesen, and I am the Director of Client Experience at Bonfire, an e-procurement solution used by over 500 public agencies in North America. I'm joined today by Mark Funkhauser, President of Funkhauser & Associates. Mark is a municipal finance expert who has spent decades in government service. As the mayor of Kansas City during the Great Recession, Mark made the tough choice to put his city on the path to fiscal sustainability. That experience, his long tenure as an auditor, and his most recent post as the publisher of Governing Magazine have made him a trusted and credible advisor to government officials across the country. Mark holds a master's degree in social work from West Virginia University, an MBA from Tennessee State University, and an interdisciplinary PhD in public administration and urban sociology from the University of Missouri at Kansas City. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Happy to be here. Great. And then before we get started, we're I think actually today when we're recording this, just so everyone knows, it is the first day of summer. It's June 21st. So what are you most looking forward to this summer, Mark? Well, my wife is a big Grateful Dead fan. And Bob Weir has a band, Dead and Company, with some of the survivors of the band. And before the pandemic, we went to see them a couple of times a year, and they're back. So this summer, July 6th or something like that, we'll be in Saratoga Springs, New York, at a lovely venue, watching Dead and Company. Oh, that'll be amazing. It makes me so excited, too, to think about the summer is back in full force. Concerts are back in full force. I, I really am tempted to ask you if you're a headbanger, but we'll just let people imagine <laughs> at this moment. Uh, not exactly. No. <laughs> okay, perfect. On the, that note, or that somewhat segue, we'll get we'll get started with the flow. I know based on your background too, when we're recording this, as we're heading into a new phase of economic uncertainty, your feedback is so timely as well. But on that note, so tell me, Mark, a bit about your experience, you know, as mayor, how did you typically interact with procurement? And from your perspective, how, you know, did procurement directly impact public office and, and your constituents overall? So my experience, uh, you read my bio, that's basically where I've been in the mayor's office in relationship to procurement. Of course, procurement is incredibly important. I mean, you know, the work that we do depends on the, in many cases, the services and equipment that we buy. But as mayor, I had no specific involvement in any purchasing decision, and that's a good thing. Elected officials should not be involved in specific purchasing decisions for a myriad of reasons, but most importantly, if you are an elected official, you have to ask people for money. It's not just to get elected, but throughout your time in office. And a lot of those people are going to be affiliated with companies that are going to be doing business with the city. So it's actually a very significant red flag if an elected official shows an undue interest or involvement in a particular purchasing decision. There has to be that natural separation, just for to your point, to mitigate any potential 
not only speculation, but just legal ramifications, right? So very fair. And then I know somewhat highlighted in your bio, but I know if you're very known for this, that you're often consulted, Mark, on the importance of being audit ready and being prepared, you know, for any disputes in the procurement process. So why is auditing something that needs to be on every procurement professional's mind? Because there's a very good chance that you will get audited, particularly if it's a significant purchasing decision. If it's a miniature contract, you know, if it's uh, in Kansas City, for example, recently there was a huge multi-billion dollar contract to build a new airport. Those sorts of situations, somebody is going to ask for an investigation, an audit. And when that happens, you want to be ready. You need to, in your day-to-day work, assume, particularly for significant purchases, that somebody, a disgruntled bidder who did not get the contract or someone else is going to raise an issue. And often at every level of government, when there is a dispute like that, it is the auditor who is called in to take a look. Now you highlighted, you know, how substantial certain contracts will be. Therefore, there'll be the likelihood of dispute. What else would you call out? Like why might a contract be disputed that others should be aware of maybe in municipal and beyond? Well, an obvious red flag is a sole source purchasing. It's um, basically a happy hunting ground for auditors. And it is often, you'll read in the news, this government, that government got involved in a big dispute about a sole source contract. There are very few things in the world that can justifiably be purchased sole source. So that's you know, a clear red flag. The other thing is if there's a lot of controversy. When you talk to auditors about significant audits that they've done that involve procurement and you say, why did you do this audit? If they weren't directed to do so by some higher authority, it was often because it was controversial. There was a lot of people talking about it. You know, so one way to stay off the radar of the auditor is to stick to the book, move quietly, and don't allow elected officials or anyone else to get involved, and build a reputation for so doing. I mean, if you're audited two or three times with regard to a significant contract on two or three different occasions, the auditor looked and said, well, there's nothing here, then the chances that that's going to happen, I mean, auditors have limited resources, just like everything else, everybody else. They're not going to keep coming to the well if it looks like, you know, this is a very professional operation. Their T's are crossed, their I's are dotted. We wasted a lot of time here on two previous audits and found nothing. There are other issues that we can look at. No, very fair. I was going to ask too, you called out or it sort of, you know, sounds as though if certain variables are in place, sole source, you know, controversy, you will be audited. What do you recommend for teams to be audit ready? You should review your own process. You should say, are our policies and procedures clear? Did we follow them? A surprising number of times you find math errors and that sort of thing when you audit these. Well, there's no excuse for that. (laughs) You know, get the math right, follow the rules, It's that sort of thing. But review your own work. Have a systematic process where you, every nth contract, you take a careful look. It's really quite surprising to me how often when a contract is audited, when a procurement is audited, that there are what are fairly clear and obvious problems. 
There was a huge controversial audit that the Atlanta City Auditor did for their airport renovation, Hartsfield Airport, billions of dollars. And her team found significant math errors, you know, errors that actually changed the outcome of who got awarded the, the contract. Well, that's that's bizarre. <laughs> that should not happen. <laughs> it's basically audit proof before you're audited, more or less. Like, do these regular yes. checks, don't yes. get complacent. Are we, ready? are we ready to be audited? Are we ready to read about our work on the front page of the Atlanta Constitution? Yeah, no, very true. I can even think anecdotally, once we were supporting a client and they sent us their more or less Excel spreadsheet with their calculations, because we were more or less going to convert that into bonfire. And I remember finding, or we found, you know, a math error, and I'm glad we found it at the proactive moment (laughs) versus the, you know, like could have been a very different turnout. But to your point, like, I want to say to give those individuals some grace, they'd inherited this math or these Excel logic. So it's even just not, you know, accepting necessarily the process that you've inherited, sanity checking that for yourself too, because if your name's against the procurement at the end of the day, your name's against the procurement. One of the things that's going to happen is if it's an honest mistake, if you just got two and two to be five for some reason, people are going to impugn your motives. They're going to assume that you did this to benefit a particular vendor and you just don't want to be in that situation where people are have a legitimate reason to question your intent and your motives. Yeah, no, very true. It can cast doubt for potentially the rest of your career. So you have to be very careful. Yes. Well, on that note too, what would be your top to get pretty, you've already given us some really good tangible advice, but what would your top two or three recommendations be for organizations procurement wise, you know, to support transparency, efficiency, and a positive impact, you know, we would assume throughout the whole procurement process. I would say you start with what is the impact that we want to have? What is our objective? For instance, are we trying to maximize the number of vendors who bid on a contract? Are we trying to support a certain segment of our vendor population, small businesses and minority businesses, women-owned businesses? Are we trying to make sure that we have a diversity of sources of supplies for a particular product? We don't want to necessarily get caught in the what now everybody's talking about the supply chain thing where you're dependent on one vendor and that vendor doesn't have what you need. So looking at your mission being very clear about the mission, training your people really well. The training thing is like incredibly important. And a lot of work that I've seen is a sort of a direct correlation between how well-trained the staff are and their performance. And that's really an issue now when there's so much turnover in government. So you, you don't necessarily have people with deep experience So the substitute for experience is training to make sure that they know what to do. And then finally, as I've said before, have somebody review your work. Every writer needs an editor. You need somebody to double check the work. Very key point. I always echo like it's so needed to always invest in your staff and you just see a clear ROI to uneven the work. Um, If you do that upfront and then continuous enablement and we didn't prep you for this next question, but I'm going to put you in the spot a little bit, Mark, <laughs> just because of your bio and, you know, the times ahead economically and whatnot. And I know you had a big part to play or you, you know, steered the ship essentially towards fiscal responsibility during the recession. So I'm curious, you know, there's speculation, if not certainty, potentially that we're heading into another time of recession. What responsibility do you believe procurement teams have? Like we're heading into another recession, essentially. What can they do? 
Well, they have to be looking down the road. I mean, you have to do some forecasting. For example, what is going to be the impact of inflation on our work? What are the interests of the city that are threatened by a recession? And then what is our role in terms of protecting the interests, those interests of the city? So you're working for the city or the county. You're a part of a larger team. There are significant risks now. There's, there's something called VUCA, V-U-C-A, that stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's the world that we're going into. Map out scenarios, particularly if you're the, the head of procurement, if you're the leader of the organization, talk to your people and map out the scenarios that are going to impact the city and then how those impact you and your operation. Be thinking about that stuff. Leveraging VUCA framework? Yes. Start looking at scenarios now because, again, it's volatile. Things are changing rapidly. You know, there's a huge difference between right now and April, just a month and a half ago. Yeah, no, very true. That's why I wanted to put you on the spot because I think even a month ago when we talked about this webinar, the market, a lot has changed. (laughs) So your expertise is being leveraged in a few ways. Audits, how do we manage a recession? That's a big one, though, so I won't put you on that spot there completely. <laughs> I always like to ask though too, Mark, and your perspective is so unique too from the, the mayoral and just from a few different perspectives there. But for those, you know, starting their work or want to begin their work in public procurement, what's the number one piece of advice or a few pieces of advice you would have for them? I would say think through how important what you do is. If you're just starting your career, you don't know much about what public procurement is and none of your friends and relatives have the slightest clue what you do. And yet, at least half or two-thirds of every dollar your government spends flow through procurement. It's incredibly important. So begin to think through and understand how critical your role is. This is an important thing. What you're doing matters, and you need to understand that it matters. And if, if you understand that it matters and you act on that understanding, you're going to do well in a career because these are times for particularly younger people who are starting out, they have a real opportunity to move forward in an organization in ways that they didn't before. A lot of the older folks, the boomers and so forth, are finally retiring and the government is going to take chances with you and give you more responsibility than they would have five years ago. Be ready to run with that. That's great. I wanted to ask you too, sometimes I see people differentiate themselves, let's say the high performers from the not to be throw parallels there, self-enablement, you know, is there any advice you would have for those who want to set themselves up for that fast track from a self-enablement perspective, resources, communities, what would you recommend? It's the same sort of thing I said for the organization. Be thinking about scenarios, thinking about risks, and then be thinking about how you can respond to those risks. But there's an interesting angle to sort of setting yourself up to compete with your peers. You want to be seen as a valuable friend. You want to be seen as somebody that they can rely on, somebody that they can get unvarnished advice from. So you can get ahead not by being sort of dog-eat-dog, but by being a really valuable colleague. You know, what you want is a situation with your other friends say, I hope that Rachel is the one that they promote because she's really good. No, very key. I think it's, I was just going to repeat back to you what you just said. No great advice, Mark. (laughs) 
I don't need to be an echo chamber. But I wanted to just to highlight too, as we close out, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're beyond busy. We all know you're beyond busy. And we're very grateful that you've collaborated with us, Bonfire that is, both this podcast and you know the webinar that we went through, I think a few weeks ago now. So thank you so much for your time. And I really hope and we really hope you have an amazing summer. And hopefully in the future, we'll collaborate again. We might have to bring you back as a recession expert soon enough. <laughs> And I'll tell you about the concert in Saratoga Springs. Yes, exactly. Well, we need a we need a follow up just for that reason alone. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Mark, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon enough. All right, thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Procurement professionals like you are the lifeblood of public sector organizations, dedicated not only to supporting your agency but the constituents you serve. That's why we've created the Inside Public Procurement Podcast here at Bonfire, a unique place where you can share stories and discuss the topics that matter to public procurement pros. From digitization and the future of public procurement to ensuring a fair and transparent process, we're all about finding new strategies to help your agency succeed. Join us at GoBonfire.com to learn more. You've been listening to Inside Public Procurement by Bonfire. If you like what you've heard, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an episode or want to come on as a guest, email us at hello at gobonfire.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.